You're listening to American Timelines. American Timelines. American Timelines by History for Jerks. History for Jerks. The greatest. The greatest. The greatest podcast ever. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome, Welcome to, to another episode, episode of, of American, American Timelines. Time I'm Amy. And I'm Mabel Kinzel. Okay. I'm an old lady and I have recipes for cookies I'd like to share. This is a cookie sharing podcast. No, this isn't. This is this is the podcast that brings you all the crazy, nostalgic, interesting things from the past. Crazy we, things. We do it year by year this and month by month. This is episode 72, y'all, and I'm Mabel Kinsel. And that's Joe. First, you take some dates and some raisins and you chop them up. Okay, we're not going to do that anymore. And then you get some flour. Um, we are, this evening, discussing what year? My recipe was published in the local no. book. A local uh, trade paper. Okay. My name is Mabel Kinsley. Are we on 1962 or 1963? 1962. Okay. When we're in September. Oh, wait. Oh, no. I'm not Mabel Kinsel. Sorry. My uh, Aunt Mabel. That was my Aunt Mabel. That was her voice. She took over my body. Okay. Briefly. Um, I don't think anybody's... anybody's <coughs> if, you've ever, if you've ever seen the movie Vice Versa... Enjoying with, um, that. My... Uh, uh, not Michael J. Fox, but the one who was the, who Kirk played Cameron. Seaver. Yeah, Kirk Cameron. Not Boner, but Kirk Cameron in Growing Pains. He switches bodies with. Um, All right. That one guy. Let's, he, this is. There was remember that couple yeah, of years there were all those I movies know. where it was, Fred Savage changed bodies with Judge Reinhold. Well, anyway, my aunt Mabel just took over my body, just similar to the a la those movies, vice versa, and uh, License to Drive. Is that the one with Fred Savage? Um, I'm not even going to dignify this discussion. September 1st, 1962? Yes. So we're going to just jump right in. So what we do is we go year by year, month by month, day by day, talk about crazy shit that happened through history, and Amy focuses on horrible rapes and awful things that nobody wants to hear about, and I cover great cool stuff like music. And so... And some annoyingly stupid things as well. What? Nothing. That's your opinion. A lot Mm -hmm. of people like it. Like to know when Rick Steiner was born. I wouldn't say a September lot of September 1st, 1962, y'all. There's a new number one song on the Billboard charts because we think America wants to know what songs were popular in 62. What was on the charts? Was it a stripper song? Mm-hmm. An instrumental that people can strip to? Or was it Tommy Rowe okay. with a song called Sheila? It goes a little something like this. He originally He originally conceived the song as Frida. Oh, he did? Based on a girl from his high school. I like this song. I like His voice cracks me up. The song was auditioned to a record producer from Judd Records. 
And while the response was enthusiastic, it was suggested that the name be changed from Frida. By coincidence, Rose's aunt, Sheila, was visiting, which inspired the final title of Sheila. So technically he was singing this about his aunt. Ooh. That kind of changes things a little bit. Yep. Um, what do you think? you like this song? It's pretty good. I think it's cool. Uh, this was recorded with then backing group The Satins. Okay. And the female vocal group The Flamingos. The record failed to make an impact on the charts, but the song was later featured on the compilation album Whirling with Tommy Rowe in 1961, featuring tracks from Al Tornello. It was this included is... on the compilation of The Young Lovers in 1962. So originally, in 1960, it didn't make any traction, but now people are ready for it in 62. Okay. He's singing about his aunt. Not really. Yeah, I mean, they just incest. changed the name. The ABC recording of the song is done in the style of Lubbock Sound. Don't know what that means. The ABC recording of the song. I wonder what that means. I don't know. Let's skip that. The strumming pattern tempo and chords bear a particularly strong resemblance to the cricket's Peggy Sue. Yeah, it does sound like that. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, by Buddy Holly. But that brings us right away to your story. Um, I understand you have something that may have happened in September. Yes. This is called the Portsmouth Poltergeist. The what? The Portsmouth Poltergeist. The Portsmouth Poltergeist? Oh, whatever could that be? The house that once stood at 949 Florida Avenue... Florida. Was a, the spitting image of two others that sat in a row on a small plot of land in a middle-class neighborhood. A lot of times in middle-class neighborhoods, all the houses look the same. Mm-hmm. The shotgun-style homes had small porches, tiny yards, and three brick steps leading to their front doors. That's nice. But unlike the others, yeah. according to countless witnesses, okay. 949 had a dark side. Dark side. It was a place where teacups flew out windows... Teacups. Where vases rounded corners and crashed to the floor. Well, where sheets took on a life of their own. Sheets? Mm-hmm. Those things sound improbable, if not impossible. Helen V. Davis, Davis, who still lives down the street, was standing in her front porch one day after church in September when she says she saw one cup fly out of the house. Really? And another. It was like someone was throwing them in the street, she said. Huh. She said it like that? Yes. Helen V. Davis, y'all. Davis and her friend went into the house, and they found Charles and Annie Daughtry sitting very nonchalantly among their shattered belongings. And um, she she said she remembered Charles Daughtry saying, I'm so tired of all this stuff, I don't know what is going on. Hmm. Then a mattress on one of the beds started spinning, Davis said. It was like someone was turning it around, she said. Huh. Salt and pepper shakers flew by and crashed on the floor. Salt and pepper. Davis bolted toward the front door. She admits that her recollection seems far-fetched. Still to this day, she's unsure whether she saw a ghost. But, but she, she, she was scared. Stands by her spooky story. I saw what I saw. She said, it's not a fish tale. And, All right. And she was not alone. Okay. So many people say they witnessed signs of a ghost at the house. So this is, our, this is a poltergeist. Yes. Moving stuff around, like that one where they were throwing turds. That's right. That we talked about in an earlier episode. Thousands more lined the street to see what they could see, and it went from anomalous to infamous in a few short days. Anomalous? Yeah. Okay. To infamous? Mm-hmm. 
anomalous to infamous. Yep. The Daughtrys and their 12-year-old great-grandson, Cleveland Harmon, who lived with them. Cleveland Harmon, y'all. Said the ghost first made its presence known about 4 p.m. Friday, September 7th. Oh, really? Of 1962? Yes. You know what? I've got the answer why this happened on that day. Why? It's the same day that Chris Christie was born. That's why? There was a great disturbance in the <laughs> yeah, force. it when, must have been. When Chris Christie was born. And everything. Yeah, that, that makes sense, that honey. That crap. <laughs> that guy was born. It ruined everything. It was the universe being, oh, no, we got yep. to throw a bunch of things. So at that, on that day, the covers flew off a bed. All right. Um, and this was reported in the newspaper and everything. The covers flew off the bed the day that Chris Christie was born? Yep. Was he born in this town? No. Portsmouth maybe. what? What's the? New Hampshire. Where was Chris Christie born, I wonder? You going to find out? Yeah, let's find out. Chris Christie was born on September 6th, 1962 in Newark, New Jersey. Yeah, so it went him. Same thing, and he's 5'11", and his wife's name is Mary Pat. Okay, we don't need to know any more about him. He went to Seton Hall Law School. <laughs> so they, they said uh, then after that, a vase flew off a mantle. Oh, really? Then the, then the Harmon's chair toppled over with him in it. What? A vase or a vase, first of all? It was a be- I, probably a vase. a vase. And so he was sitting in a chair, and all of a sudden somebody fell over. flipped it over. And a bottle of pesticides struck Annie Daughtry in the head. Oh, man. So you imagine that just sitting there, and some bottle just wings at your I head. I think that would be my last straw. Once the chair flips over. Yep. Because I think if stuff was floating around our house and breaking, I'd be like, yeah, it's cool. There kind of is. I mean, it looks like the aftermath of a poltergeist. Our house does? All the time, yeah. Well, that's children and dogs. Yes. And you. It always looks like a poltergeist has just visited. Yeah, I can't pick up after everyone. Our I mean, house. it's hard to keep it clean when I'm the only responsible one. It's either a struggle, there's yeah, been struggle. a struggle, or a I called, poltergeist has just I visited. I call 911 three times a week when I get home. Yeah. Because I think some, there's been a struggle. There's something going on. It's, it's been ransacked. Oh, no, yes. wait. Oh, no, that's just how we live. That's right. Okay, so um, the family, the family called the police. Finally, they called the police yes. on the ghosts. Well, they don't know what to do. I guess what would you do? Who are you going to call? The Ghostbusters? Yeah, there's nothing. <laughs> didn't even no exist Ghostbusters yet. Dan Aykroyd. So when they came, they brought dogs with them. I don't know why. Police dogs. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. And the dogs didn't want to go in the house. Oh, dogs! They stood outside have and whined. And they, yeah, they can sense things like that. Dogs. That's right. So they did, the officers did get one in the, in the house, and they, they didn't find anything, but the officer said he was struck on the leg by something. Oh, the officer was, so he's down with the story, huh? Yep, and Annie Daughtry was quoted as saying, you stay around here, you get hit by a lot of stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. The neighbors began to gather outside the house, and okay. reports started appearing in newspapers. On Saturday, September 8th. Oh, Saturday, September 8th. Make That Spare was on as a bowling show on ABC. <laughs> Make That uh, Spare. Also, you t- remember Bowling t- for Dollars? No. You don't remember that show? I never saw it, I don't think. Do you, just, have you ever heard of it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've heard of Bowling for Dollars. Number one, you mentioned it anytime it rains. <laughs> what? Anytime there's thunder, you every single time, oh. you're like, oh, somebody's bowling for dollars out there. And it gets funnier every time. You know what? Sorry. I don't think I, I need to... to- Calvin and the Colonel was on. If I could go over all your stale jokes that you tell all the time. The Tales of Wells Fargo was on. Okay. Yes, that same day. You know what the Tales of Wells Fargo is? I don't care. Wait, hold on. September 8th, 
1962? Yeah. <laughs> the same day that Hermann Standiger, a German chemist, died? Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, the same day that novelist Jennifer Egan was born? <laughs> okay. Um, Sorry. The, stupid. The newspaper reporter Joseph Phillips was assigned to the story. No way. No way. Joseph Phillips, the newspaper yes. reporter? He was the very... Joseph Phillips? I wonder if it was like, he, it was either his first day and they were like, well, give him this crazy bullshit poltergeist story. Just to get story. rid of him because nobody wants here. him there anymore. Or maybe he was like... Maybe he was into ghosts. Really into it and he wanted to go. I don't know. And he really wanted it. Um. He entered the house a skeptic, he says, but I know what you're, you can figure out what I'm going to say next. He became a believer. He left a, a believer. When a giant turd hit him in the face. He did leave a believer of the house. He said he got goose pimples while dodging flying household objects that crashed, crashed to bits on the floor. Goose pimples. Some people call them goose bumps. Yeah, I know. Some people call them goose pimples. I, yeah, I never did. Yeah, a pimple has to be filled with pus, I think. Gross. So it can't be a goose pimple unless so, he grew pus. Cups, vases, and tobacco cans were all flying this way and that, he said. Cans of tobacco. I don't believe this nonsense. I didn't believe this nonsense until Saturday. Now I'm not so sure, he wrote in the pilot. By Sunday afternoon, as many as 10,000 people had come to gawp, according S- to news reports. I mean, to sun- gawk. Sunday, to gawp or to gawk? To gawk. Sunday afternoon, the 9th of September, 1962, the same day that yeah. uh, Japan... Celebrated Chrysanthemum Day? Probably. And the same day that uh, Margaret Smith Court beats Darlene Hard in women's tennis? <laughs> yes. Same day that Vaudevillian Pat Rooney died? That mm-hmm. same day? Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to go in there, Davis said. Some wanted to go in and buy some trinkets. Some just wanted to si- to see things fly around. So they were going in there to see things fly around the same day that Shirley Englehorn won the LPGA Eugene Golf Stop Open? Stop it. <laughs> that day? One neighbor interviewed by the, the um, newspaper suggested the ghost had been conjured by witchcraft. Oh, that That neighbor be. said, you take a blackhead and boil it down to the bones and eat the bones. Well, That'll bring a, them around a every time. A blackhead? A black cat. Oh, a black cat. And boil it down to the bones and eat the bones, she said. That'll, that'll get rid bring of bring them around every time. She's giving them how to get... How to, how to get rid of it. No, she's... She's, she's saying how saying, to get a poltergeist. Yeah, she's saying that's what these people must have did. Oh, she's assuming that the people that live in the house did. Yeah. People well, like, that's a, I guess right. that's a logical conclusion. What else would... So far, out of all yeah. the, out of <laughs> so all the far, things that are brought up, that's Occam's the best razor. one. Yeah, hello. That's the best one on Chrysanthemum Day. And then another... Or the Chris Christie birth. That's my theory. Another man in the crowd said, ain't nobody in that house ain't no black cat. You said that? Yeah. To her. Ain't nobody in that house ain't no black cat. Yep. I love that. Ain't nobody got time for that. So by Monday, the elderly couple had moved out. Oh, they, wait. They moved out on September 10th, 1962? Yes, they moved out. I can't believe that they moved out the same day that Esteban Toledo was born, a Mexican oh, golfer. God. And I can't believe that they moved out the same day that WDCN TV Channel 8 in Nashville began broadcasting. Okay. Yes, they moved out that day. <laughs> Same day? Um, but it, they were as much 
to get away from the looting and noisy na- noisy neighbors as the ghost. Because oh, it so had the, gotten so crazy. The neighbors were bothering them just yeah, as much. Yeah, because there was like 10,000 people. You're um, telling me they moved out the same day that I've Got a Secret was on CBS? Yes. A team of parapsychologists was ca- called in to investigate at this Para- point. Parrot? Parapsychologists. Oh, I thought you were saying parrot psychologists. No, para- like bird psychologists. Parapsychologists. Which I think the bird, the parrot psychologist would be better. So the guy's name was William G. Roll. William G. Roll, yeah. He was the director of psych- psych- Psychical Research Foundation associated with Duke University. Say that three times fast. He was a renowned <laughs> ghost hunter and would later appear in several episodes of the TV series Unsolved Mysteries. Really? So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Well, that, This no. guy knows what he's fucking doing. That's right. That adds some validity to yeah. the equation. So That's now right. we're going to get this solved, I think. So My when he gets there on yeah. Tuesday, September 11th. Tuesday, September 11th. What's his name gets there? What's William his name? Roll. How do you spell Roll? R-O-L-L. Huh, oh, really? Like Roll? Like rock and roll? Well, that's the same. Yeah, the same day that the Lloyd Bridges show was on. Yes. Did you know there was a Lloyd Bridges show? No. Uh, Yours for a song. Talent Scouts and Kane's Hundred were on the same day, September eleventh, nineteen sixty-two. The same day. You can scroll right down to the births and deaths. Well, there's not everything else is just nonsense. That's the same day that the Beatles cut "Love Me Do." And P.S. I Love You with Andy White on drums. Sweet. And the same day that Ringo Starr replaces Pete Best. He shows up in the studio there, I guess. That same day? Yes. The same day that actress, the greatest actress in the world, Christy McNichol, was born? Yes. Wow. So he gets there on Tuesday the 11th, and when he gets there, a china closet door glass shattered. So... Now, that might be Christy McNichol's birth causing that. Yeah. Still, he wasn't immediately convinced there were ghosts, or to be more precise, poltergeists, which are unseen ghosts that move objects around, as opposed to, say, haunting ghosts that are classified as visible spirits interacting with humans. Oh, so haunting are visible. Poltergeists yes. are invisible. That's the only difference. Yes. But he was not still not convinced even That's though he That's the only that. difference. The, po- the, the poltergeists move stuff around. Yeah. And a ghost can't move anything. Is is more like interacting with the humans and like okay, what's an apparition? That's the visible form of a ghost. Is that a haunting ghost? Yeah, it's not what's, a poltergeist. What's Casper the friendly ghost? What's he considered? An apparition. What's the ghost face killer? A rapper. Yeah, that's an good. Awesome rapper. Wu Tang Clan, baby. All right. I hung out with him one so, time. So, um. You did not. Ghostface so, Killer hit me up at History for Jerks on Twitter. He, um, after about a week. Um, yeah. I did hang out with Ghostface Killer once. His investigation came back negative. Negative? What and does that mean? He says, in field investigations in general, and in this case in particular, it's difficult to reach any conclus- conclusive judgment about the phenomena studied. The only thing that can be said with any assurance is that there's nothing in the house itself to cause the phenomena. The okay. things only happened when the house was occupied. Something like a phenomenon. So Roll said one explanation could have been psychokinesis, in which, or psychokinesis, psychokinesis, even I know that, in which one of the former residents was able to move objects with his or her mind. A former resident was doing that? That's what he was thinking. Or He, so he says, the, as far as I know, no one has observed any appearance of deception and fraud. So, so he didn't see anything going on, so he assumed the previous 
owner was doing yeah. it, even if he didn't know it. Right, he was doing exactly. It with his mind. In the month that followed, a fund drive was started to raise money for the displaced Daughtrys. A fund drive fund, or a fund drive? Fund drive. Oh. It was probably a fun, fun it drive. It depends on what it was. It was like it was a bowling. Could be, it bouncy or was houses. It, yeah, bouncy houses. Or a Two men moved into the house and reports of strange occurrences ended. They did, huh? Yes. The two guys moved in? Yep. Two fellas Eventually, together? Eventually, 949 Florida Avenue was torn down, leaving an empty lot. Oh. Its two sister houses remain. Sister houses. Lad Spruill lives in one of the one that was next door. He Who? said, Lad Spruill. Lad Spruill, y'all. Yeah, that's a name for you. Remember that one? Lad Spruill. He said that after he moved in, several neighbors told him about the haunted house. And he said, I think what they, I think when they tore that house down, the ghosts left. No, but they just and and, and up there to... was one I um f- came upon it um, a news article about the the guy that was the little boy, like the great grandson. The great grandson of who? Of the Daughtrys that, oh, that it was them and the great Cleveland? the great grandson and then yeah Cleveland the Harmon Cleveland Harmon yeah and he's a he's an old man now yeah but somebody tracked him down because they lived on that street. Yeah. And when that happened. Okay. And so they tracked him down and they and they tried to look everywhere for him and then they finally went on Facebook and said, Does anyone know the whereabouts of this person? Facebook and, finds everybody. And then somebody replied and said, Well, he's on Facebook. You can contact him here and so then she messaged him. Yeah. And then they got together and she's gonna write a book or something about it. Oh, and, and did they play Farmville together? He said he said that um he all he'll always remember that haunting at that he he thinks he was doing it somehow like he oh did, he thinks he was doing it he, like it was his brain and frustration and yeah he said being a young child like a lot of times they'll say pre-adolescence and adolescence have superpowers it can get psychokinesis um and so he said it because it only happened when he was around and stuff whoa but so then that he book, had like drug problems and all kinds of stuff later in his life is that book forthcoming i don't know you don't know. I thought you just said he was right. They were writing I forgot a book. What, I forgot about the book. I forgot what they said. You forgot? Yeah, I forgot. Well, so, that's not how a podcast researcher I know. does. They're supposed to. I think I think maybe. <laughs> that's helpful. <laughs> All right. Uh, Let's move on. So that was the story of the well, Portsmouth Poltergeist. That not. was short but sweet. So this is another thing we're going to rely on. I call out to our listeners. Uh, go ahead and look this up if you are so inclined and find out if that book ever got written and what's going on with it. And maybe put us in touch with Cleveland Harmon. That's right. We could have him as a guest on our show. Yeah. And and, and if he happens to have drugs, like you said, mm-hmm. we may or may not be willing to purchase some of his drugs, depending on the That's right. kind. All right. Anyway. Um, maybe some bear aspirin. What's next? Oh, back to me, huh? Yep. I'm not used to you going so early in an episode. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> All right. Well, we talked about the Beatles on September 11th recording Love mm-hmm. Me Do and P.S. I Love You. That's right. Uh, but did you know that, uh, yeah, that other drummer was there, but Ringo joined in a couple of those songs. Um, and Love Me Do took 17 takes to complete. Oh, and then on September 15th, 1962, we have a new number one song on the Billboard charts by the Four Seasons. Now Are you I familiar with them. the Four Seasons? Yes. And you'll know this song, too. Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, to be specific. 
Oh, yeah, Sherry. Boy, you're good. You picked that early. This was a Walter song. Nobody knows what that means. I know. Amy knew a guy named Walter, and they were in a band. So whenever <laughs> she says a Walter song, it was a he sang that, or she sang it. Well. That's right. But this is written by Bob Gaudio and recorded by the Four Seasons. According to Gaudio, the song took about 15 minutes to write and was originally titled Jackie Baby oh. in, in honor of then First Lady Jackie Kennedy. Oh, really? That's funny. This He also said in an interview that the song was inspired by Bruce Channel's hit, Hey Baby. Okay. At the studio, the name was changed to Terry Baby, and then eventually Terry. to Sherry Baby. <laughs> Terry. Yeah. I just think of Terry from Reno 911. Sherry was the name of the daughter of Gaudio's best friend. Terry is such a mom's name. Yeah. But Sherry was the name of his best friend. His best friend's daughter. His best friend was New York DJ Jack Spector. Okay. One of the other names they almost used was Perry. Perry Baby. It's terrible. Which was the name of the record label for which Bob Crew worked. Okay. Then we're done with this song. Named after the label owner's daughter. Okay. Do you know what the B-side was? No. I've Cried Before. I don't know that one. This is a pretty good song. His voice is so funny. Yeah, it's crazy and weird, huh? Yep. And then Thursday, September 20th, 1962, mm-hmm. black student James Meredith was blocked from enrolling at the University of Mississippi Mississippi, by Governor Ross R. Barnett. He was blocked from going? Yes. Meredith was later admitted, though. A Life magazine photograph around the time showed seven sheriffs gathered at Ole Miss to keep Meredith out. Oh, my God. In 2003, Paul Hendrickson authored Sons of Mississippi, a story of race and its legacy in which he uncovers the lives of those seven sheriffs now. Don't you think, like, when you think of Mississippi, don't you think it's like that now? Like, yeah. I, whenever I picture it, Mississippi, I picture it's, it's still in the 1960s. Yeah, because you hear, all the only things you hear about that are horrible racism yeah. stories. Isn't hopefully that sad? It's, hopefully it's not, but... We don't yeah. have anything to go on. Yeah. If we have any listeners in Mississippi, let us know. Is it still bad or is it all good now? Sunday, September 23rd, 1962, The Jetsons mm-hmm. debuted. Remember the TV oh, show, The Jetsons? Yeah, of course. It only aired three seasons. What? You know that? Yeah. God, it was one forever. Well, the first season was 1962, and the second and third seasons were in 1985. In 1987. What? Two decades So what were we watching? We were watching the... It came back in 85 and 80 oh. through 87. Okay. So those were new. But, but that, I feel that like I've the seen the 60s third. ones too. Well, you probably have because there was one season in the 60s. And then they yeah, and then they re them all together. And then they made new ones in the 80s. I wonder how different they look, the 60s version to the 80s I don't version. know. We'll never know. There's no way to find That's out. That's right. There's no machine in our There's no way. Would... The internet doesn't exist. It's true. Monday, September 24th, 1962, the U.S. Oh, I had something about the Jetsons were basically like a, a exactly like the Flintstones, mm-hmm. just in the future. Like Instead of the, the past to the future. That makes sense. Sunday, September 23rd, 1962. No, I mean, Monday, 
Nobody cares what day of the week. Monday, September 24th, 1962, the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ordered James Meredith admitted to the University of Mississippi. Okay. And he became the first black university student sparking more rioting. Poor kid. In Mississippi. Somebody had to do it, though, man. Somebody yeah, had to change it. He was a brave dude. Yeah, he was. God, Some, Those people, I mean, it was just everything's on them. Too. Yep, I know. They didn't have the option of just, ah, I don't feel like it. I'm yeah. Stay home. They they had to do it yeah. to be trailblazers. Oh, it's just, and it's sad that we don't know his name. Like, he's not a famous name. It is pretty. It is James pretty, Meredith? Yeah, it's pretty famous, I think. I've never heard that. You haven't? No. I, I knew it, but of course I minored in African American. I mean, you think he would be like Emmett Till or something where you like everybody knows I that name? I think he is. He's pretty well known. He is? Yeah. Okay. In civil rights worlds, I think. Or Ruby Bridges. Yeah. Well, you know her because that book. There's a children's book that yeah. you read to our kids, which is good. But, and then Tuesday, September 25th, 1962, mm-hmm. Liston Beats Patterson. What? Liston beats Patterson. Oh, is it a boxing? Pope Paul Malcolm X, British politician, sex. Liston beats Patterson. Oh, I see you know what, what you're doing. You know what song that is? I see what you're doing there. We didn't start the fire. Okay. Liston beats Patterson. I don't remember that part. Liston beats pa- Sonny Liston knocks out Floyd Patterson in round one to win the world heavyweight title at Comiskey Park in Chicago. Oh, it's in Chicago, eh? Yep. And it was part of Billy Joel's song. Yes, uh, we got that part. The song is called Liston Beats Patterson. That's actually the name of the song. No, we're not. Liston Beats Patterson. No, the world's been turning since Liston Beat Patterson. All right, well, you move on. (laughs) You hate so many things. Wednesday, September 26th, 1962, the TV comedy series Beverly Hillbillies premiered on CBS. In 62, eh? Yeah, and it became the number one show that year. Everybody fucking loved those Beverly Hillbillies and those hillbillies in Beverly Hills. Yep, the hillbillies. They and Beverly loved Hills. that shit. Everyone loved it. They loved seeing white trash go and try to live like a millionaire. If white trash can do it, we all can do it. Well, and and just the the dichotomy of the trashiness in the middle of all of the luxury. That show ran all the way to 1971. Wow, that's a long run for that for that that time period. Yeah, and then Sunday, September thirtieth, nineteen sixty-two, James Meredith success. Uh, James Meredith succeeded on his fourth try in registering for classes at the University of Mississippi. Uh, Good. It took thirteen thousand five hundred federal troops to back him up. Oh my God! That's how many people were trying to keep him from going to a college. Jesus, Christ. because he was black. 13,500 federal troops. What? In U.S. The world? Marshals escorted him into the University of Mississippi, and two died in the mob violence that followed. Holy shit. That's he, awful. James Meredith was also noted for starting the March Against Fear to encourage voter registration by Southern African Americans. While on the march, he was hit with a sniper's bullet. God. Other civil rights leaders, including MLK, continued the march, and Meredith was able to complete the march in Jackson, Mississippi. After he got shot? Yeah. Wow. Now talk about a hero. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. James Meredith. Wow. So if they don't, if you, people don't know his name, you do now. Yeah. From listening to American Timeline. <laughs> okay. Can't say you didn't learn true. one thing. That's true. Monday, October 1st, 1962. Mm-hmm. Here 
there's Johnny. That started? Johnny Carson succeeded Jack Parr as regular host of NBC's Tonight Show. That was momentous. Carson received an on-air introduction from Groucho Marx. The guests on his debut program were Joan Crawford, Rudy Valley, Tony Bennett, Mel Brooks, and the Phoenix Singers. That's quite a star-studded lineup. Yeah. For its first decade, Johnny Carson's Tonight Show was based at 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York City, but mm-hmm. then later moved to the West Coast Studios in Burbank, California. Yeah. Did you know that? Mm-mm. I did not know that. How about this? That's probably that's, that's an appropriate I, oh, uh, I time that. to say that, actually. I did not know that. I love Johnny Carson. Yeah. Tuesday, October 9th, 1962, during the 1962... Chechen military parade, mm-hmm. a tank of the Polish People's Army accidentally crushed bystanders, killing, killing seven children and injuring many more. Holy cow. Seven children died? Yeah, in a, oh. in a military parade. It was covered up for many years by the Polish communist authorities. Families of the dead children were told not to discuss the incident. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Yeah. Nobody really knows why it happened or or what happened. Or why you know why it happened, but the kids were standing on the sidewalk or on the street itself. Because uh, military parades are always a great idea. Yeah, and it, and they did all the documents describing the incident were destroyed in March 1982 because they didn't want. And then it finally come out, or no? I don't when think did it so. come out? All, I, it, I think I don't know exactly, but oh. the tank weighed 36 tons and was going around 30 kilometers an hour. I don't know how fast that is. Altogether, seven <laughs> children died. Four of them were students of the, the uh, Chechen Elementary Number 1. In 2006, this is when it came out, a tablet commemorating the tragedy was placed by the entrance of the school. The children who died were ages from ages 6 to 12. Oh, that's terrible. Isn't that crazy? Yes. A panic broke out. 22 people were injured. Yep, that happened in 1962. Wow. And then Thursday, October 11th, 1962, Bertha Maine passed away. Who's that? Titanic survivor, Bertha Maine. Oh, I did read that. Somebody lived until 60-something. She was a Belgian singer in the winter of 1911, and she met a young Montreal hockey player named Quig Baxter. Mm -hmm. Quig Baxter, y'all. Quig. Quig. Quig Baxter. While she was performing at a cafe in Brussels, and the two became lovers, Sweet. sexual lovers, they had sex. Okay. He pursued her, or no, I'm sorry, he persuaded her to return to Montreal with him aboard Titanic, and oh, for the sake boy. of propriety, 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 and for the sake of propriety, he installed her in her own first-class stateroom. Because it wasn't night, it wasn't proper. To, right. Yeah. She, they weren't married, uh, but he, she had her own room under the pseudonym Mrs. De Villiers. The night of the disaster, Baxter rushed in, rushed her into lifeboat six with his mother and sister. She slipped a long woolen overcoat over her nightdress, but balked when Quig wanted her to go to the boat without him. She wanted to, she wanted to go back to her cabin to get some jewelry but denver socialite maggie brown talked her out of it yes after the, after the sinking she stayed in montreal with the baxter family for several months 
then returned to Europe and resumed her career Did he as a survive? Oh, no, he died. Yeah, because you know, only women oh, and children get yeah. on the boats. Yeah. So he died. Well, women and children and the, the guy who, like the head guy, the CEO or whatever. He, oh, he was on one of the first boats. Oh, he was with yes. women and children? Yes. He got a lot of um, backlash for that. Flack for that? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the very rich. It was the rich people that got on first. But after that, she returned to Europe and resumed her career as a singer in Paris, and she never married. Oh, wow. Eventually, she retired to a comfortable house in Bersham St. Agathe, a suburb of Brussels. In old age, she tried to persuade her nephew that she had been on the Titanic hmm. with a young Canadian millionaire, but no one believed her. Aww. After she died on October 11, 1962, the truth of the story was found in personal clippings, letters, and photographs discovered in a shoebox among her personal belongings. Oh, my God. So they never believed her until she died and they found all that stuff? Yep. That's terrible. They were like, you're lying, Nana. <laughs> Go sit down, Nana. The blacks up, aren't Nana. stealing from you. <laughs> you weren't on the Titanic, <laughs> Nana. Liar. Friday, October 12, 1962, Columbus Day Storms washed out the 1962 World Series game at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. It rains. We don't have to play. Isn't that what George Carlin used to say? I don't remember, but a storm. Oh, yeah, like about baseball players mm -hmm. being wussies. Yeah. A storm from the Gulf of Alaska took on moisture from Typhoon Frida and caused four days of rainouts during the World Series. Okay. I dated a girl named Typhoon Frida. No, you did not. I did. She knew what she was doing. All right. We don't need to. And then Wednesday, October 17, 1962, the San Francisco Giants lost to the New York Yankees one to nothing in the seventh game of the World Series at Candlestick Park. I thought Giants were b football. They're, that's the New York football Giants. Oh. Would you the just... San Francisco Giants. Oh, the baseball team. oh, it is? Oh. They. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. San Francisco fans just unfriended you on nobody twitter there's nobody there's nobody san franciscans are crazy baseball fans anybody in san francisco loves baseball october 20th 1962 we got a new number one song on the billboard chart and it's a novelty song sweet your favorite monster mash you tell just by that when you said my favorite i figured i knew it was coming no, soon I said novelty songs are your favorite Oh, I thought you meant my favorite because it's a monster mash. I, I love this. This song is based on a true story. What? <laughs> no. Do <laughs> you know who sings this? No, I can't remember. Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kickers. That's hilarious. They did a great job with this song. Yeah, it. Uh, this album contains several other monster-themed tunes. Mm -hmm. Did it really? Yeah, here's another like a whole one. album of monster tunes. Me and my mummy is another one that was on there. Me and my mummy. That's funny. This would be funny to play this whole album at a Halloween party. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it would be funny. Maybe it would or be. maybe you would looked at be looked at as passe, or an asshole, or an asshole. Anyway, uh, Pickett, who did the song, was an aspiring actor who sang with a band called the Cordials at night while going to auditions during the day. One night, 
While performing with his band, Pickett did a monologue in imitation of horror movie actor Boris Karloff mm -hmm. while play, performing the Diamond's Little Darling. Mm -hmm. The audience ate that shit up. So it was probably the same voice he does on the, on the song. Yep, so fellow band member Lenny Capizzi mm -hmm. encouraged Pickett to do more with the Karloff imitation. Oh. And that that's where this was born. And so there you yep. go. And then on Monday, October 22nd, 1962, President John F. Kennedy announced that missile bases had been discovered in Cuba and they had the potential to attack the United States with nuclear warheads. Oh, Jesus. Kennedy ordered a naval and air blockade on further shipment of military equipment to Cuba. The Russians had previously previously agreed not to bring new offensive weapons into Cuba, but after hearing Kennedy's announcement, Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev refused to cooperate with a quarantine following a confrontation that threatened nuclear war. Kennedy and Khrushchev agree on October 28th on a formula to end the crisis. So we got pretty close to nuclear annihilation. It was close. And then later on, November 2nd, Kennedy reported that Soviet missile bases in Cuba are being dismantled. Thursday, October 25th, 1962, an intruder climbing the fence at a Minnesota air base set off the sabotage alarm. What's a sabotage alarm? In all bases in that area. I'm, I'm going to tell you. In, okay. one, in one base... Okay. In one base, due to wrong wiring, the klaxon alarm was sounded, ordering nuclear-armed aircraft to take off. And the pilots believed that World War III had started. Oh, man. The intruder was a bear. Oh, well, that's, you know, shit in your pants. It's like that bear, bears getting revenge after that bear that was sent out into space. Yeah, really. According to minilawyer.com, it was around midnight on October 25th when a black bear climbed a fence in Duluth and almost started a nuclear war. God, how the, many times are, uh, well, the Cuban, are we on the brink of nuclear <laughs> war in 1962? Well, this was still, the Cuban Missile Crisis was still in, in its most tense stage. Mm -hmm. JFK's negotiations with Soviet leader Nico Nikita Khrushchev seemed to be going nowhere. The U.S. military sat on a nuclear stockpile with a combined power of 42,000 Hiroshima bombs, and DEFCON 3 had just been declared for the first time. Following the awful Strangelovian logic of nuclear war, both sides were willing to wage total war at a moment's notice. Safeguards against accidental disaster were about to be tested. U.S. officers had been trained that preceding a nuclear first strike, Soviet Special Forces Spetnaz would carry out sabotage operations against U.S. command facilities. So when an Air Force guard saw a dark, shadowy shape ascending the security fence of the Duluth, Duluth Sector Direction Center, he took it for a Russian Spetnaz saboteur. According to a declassified Air Defense Command history, his blood chilled by Cold War jitters. The patrolman fired on the bear. And the shots triggered a sabotage alarm, which was connected to alarm systems at several other military bases. At Volk Field in Wisconsin, the automatic system malfunctioned, and the wrong alarm, a klaxon, rang out across the air base. Two squadrons of F-106 fighter jets scrambled to their launch sites. Stowed in the belly of each plane, along with four conventional air-to-air -air missiles, was a single 800-pound nuclear-tipped rocket. Oh, man. The pilots thought nuclear war had already begun. 
Oh, shit. It turned out all right in the end. Just before the jets took off, an officer sped toward the tarmac, flashing his car's headlights and stopping the launch. Oh. But the incident points towards the surprised they didn't make a movie about that. I wonder if there is. Like, that's crazy. They stopped at the last second. God. That's crazy. They could make a movie and have Samuel L. Jackson say, get the motherfucking bear off that motherfucking plane. And then Friday, October 26, 1962, Nikita Khrushchev sent a note to JFK offering to withdraw his missiles from Cuba if the U.S. closed its bases in Turkey. Mm. And it'd be all over. Yeah. But the offer was rejected. Mm. And then on Sunday, um, Saturday, October 27, 1962, the, again, the Cuban Missile Crisis is going. A group of 11 U.S. Navy destroyers and the aircraft carrier USS Randolph located the diesel-powered nuclear-armed Foxtrot-class submarine B-59 near Cuba. Despite being in international waters, the Americans started dropping signaling death depth charges explosives intended to force the submarine to come to the surface for identification there had been no contact from moscow for a number of days and although the sub's crew had earlier been picking up u.s civilian radio broadcasts once b-59 began attempting to hide from its u.s navy pursuers it was too deep to monitor any radio traffic those on board did not know whether war had broken out or not the captain of that sub Mm-hmm. Valentin Grigorovich Savitsky mm-hmm. decided that a war might already have started and he wanted to launch a nuclear torpedo. Oh, man. Unlike the other subs in the flotilla, three officers, officers on board B-59 had to agree unanimously yeah. to authorize a nuclear launch. That's how, how you, you do you it. keep it safe. Captain Savitsky, the political officer, Ivan Semenovich Malsalenekovikov, Let's just call him Boris Zukov. Mm -hmm. And the second in command, Arkhipov. Mm -hmm. Arkhipov. Okay. Typically, Russian submarines armed with the special weapons only require the captain get authorization from the political officer to launch a nuclear torpedo. But due to Arkhipov's position as flotilla commander, B-59's captain also was required to gain Arkhipov's approval. Right. An, An argument broke out with only Arkhipov against the launch. Did I already say Arkhipov's name? You just said Arkhipov. Arkhipov, so I don't have his whole name for some reason. So they didn't do it because the one guy was... Yep. Okay. Uh, so, well, even though Arkhipov was second in command, he was, in fact, commander of the entire submarine flotilla and equal in rank to Captain Savitsky. According to author Edward Wilson... The reputation Arkhipov had gained from his courageous conduct in the previous year's K-19 incident also helped him prevail. Arkhipov eventually persuaded Savitsky to surface and await orders from Moscow. This effectively averted the general nuclear war, which probably would have ensued if the nuclear weapon had been fired. Wow, so another... The submarine's batteries had run very low and the air conditioning had failed, causing extreme heat and high levels of carbon dioxide inside the submarine, which was a situation not conducive to rationality. So it's even more mm, amazing yeah. that he came to a census. So they were forced to, to the surface amid the American pursuers and returned to the Soviet Union as a result. That's pretty cool. So all these little tiny chance things yeah, and it saved nuclear s- war. We'd all be gone. Yeah. 
How how is it not aliens that are interfering to stop these things? It's got to be aliens, right? Or Jesus. Or Jesus. Maybe Jesus is an alien. Oh, now you're thinking. Elf Jesus. All right. Is that the end? Nope. Oh, I'm getting tired. Saturday. It's in a couple more days. Saturday, October 27th, that same day, according Mm -hmm. to a Forbes article, 1930s actress Hedy Lamarr invented a new technology to stop Nazis from jamming Navy torpedoes. Hedy Lamarr did that? Hedy Lamarr did. Huh. But the idea was rejected until 1962. She did that in the 30s. Mm-hmm. It was rejected until 1962 and then implemented during the Cold War. Her frequency hopping technology is also the basis for modern Bluetooth. Oh, wow. Hedy fucking Lamar invented the Bluetooth. She was pretty. Isn't that crazy? She was she, gorgeous. She was, yeah. Not just a pretty face, but she was probably crazy too, right? Because all beautiful people are crazy. Yeah, she could I be. I mean, you're crazy. What? You're beautiful, but you're crazy. All right. What's next? Crazy Sexy Cool TLC. Sunday, October 28, 1962. This is the last thing I'm going to say. It's the end of October. Okay. Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev informed the United States that he had ordered the dismantling of Soviet missile bases in Cuba. So he finally said he would do it. Yep. Radio Moscow reported nuclear missiles in Cuba deactivated. Kennedy and Khrushchev agreed on a formula to end the Cuban Missile Crisis. The Russians would dismantle their bases, and the U.S. would publicly promise not to invade Cuba. So they were just fighting over it. There's more to come, but that's where we're leaving off in October. There's more to come in this story. But that's where where we ran out of time. We can't just talk about forever about the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's true. This isn't a Cuban Missile Crisis podcast. We could make it one. We could. Yeah. Episode 93 of the Cuban Missile Crisis podcast. Okay. There probably is one. There probably is. There's a podcast about everything. So thank you for listening. And um, And listen, if you get a chance, listen to our sister podcast, Dog Farts, the podcast. No, that's not a thing. It's just people's dogs farting. It probably is one. There probably is there one. Probably is There's a one. podcast about everything. Yes, there is. Okay. And now I'm going to see if I can get this whole microphone in my mouth. Rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> Stop it. And um, Yeah, we haven't got a lot of iTunes rate ratings and reviews lately. Come on. Yeah, let's step it up. If there's a hundred of you listening, this has been episode seventy-two. Yes, the has. same, the same uh, football number of Brett Murphy went right. to high school with. Okay. Murph, get out of here, Chuck Berry. Damn, Chuck Berry. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. American Timelines.